Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Morning, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, Tall Rounds entitled Contemporary Evaluation and Management of Stable Coronary Heart Disease. You know, there's been lots of discussions about how to manage stable coronary heart disease with guidelines, contestation of guidelines, and the cases are getting more and more complex. So we thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about it and update you and uh, reflect the um, um, way that the team at the Cleveland Clinic manages those cases on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis. So uh, we're gonna start by a case presentation. This is a gentleman approximately 50 years in age who presented with stable angina, and he was referred for bilateral mammary cabbage evaluation. At baseline, he has class two angina, and stress echo recently showed preserved LV ejection fraction with inferior wall hypokinesis. His left heart cath on the outside hospital, the report indicates RCA-CTO with severe LAD stenosis. Medical history is notable for diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and family history of premature atherosclerosis. Indeed, the still frames from the outside cath show a proximal RCA-CTO supplied distally by left to right collaterals from several perforators. And what was noted to be severe stenosis in the LAD on closer inspection may be in the intermediate range. The Syntax 2 score was developed as an anatomic and clinical criteria to help guide revascularization strategy in patients with multivessel disease. And our patient score indicates equipoise for surgical versus percutaneous revascularization. In concert with a heart team decision, PCI was offered. The score was validated with the use of state-of-the-art PCI, including physiology-guided intervention, contemporary stents, and post-PCI IVIS for stent optimization. The decision tree for physiology-driven revascularization includes deferral of PCI for IFR greater than 0.93 uh, and FFR for IFR in the gray zone of 0.86 to 0.93. LAD IFR for our patient across the lesion was 0.92 in the gray zone. But of course, nothing is so simple. The LAD supplies collateral flow to the RCA. Said another way, the LAD, the donor vessel, experiences coronary steel to the RCA territory, the recipient vessel. In such cases, CTO-PCI may improve the hemodynamic flow in the donor vessel. And so the patient underwent CTO-PCI of the RCA. The CTO was crossed with parallel wiring. The patient also underwent distal RCA PCI for complete revascularization. The PL system here was crossed using a backwards hairpin technique. After CTO and bifurcation stenting, IVIS showed optimal stent edges, stent expansion, and apposition. Here's the final result. And following successful CTO RCA PCI, LAD IFR improved from 0.92 to 0.96, or solidly negative. So here's an example of complete percutaneous revascularization for a patient who was referred for bilateral mammary cabbage following single vessel PCI. So again, I, uh, I just uh, wanted to this morning to reaffirm what Venno just uh, talked about uh, and try to figure out where we are right now in uh, 2022, looking for 2023 in terms of guidelines for stable coronary artery disease. So this is, these are my tasks for the next six, seven minutes. Uh, is first to define what's stable CAD. I think we have not uh, yet arrived at definition this morning. Uh, advances in optimal medical therapy. Lessons from mostly ischemia, predominantly clarified registry that uh, Venno mentioned earlier. 
Uh, and discounting the low event rates in the modern trial, when we practice every day, we discount these trials and we say, okay, we still do what we've been doing for 10, 15, 20, probably 30 years, and focus on death and quality of life uh, uh, for these patients. So first, let's start with the definitions. Uh, this is actually, I couldn't find any American definitions for what's stable coronary artery disease, uh, but this is from the Japanese Society of Cardiology just came out this year, and they define them as type one, two, three, and four. And you can see here type one uh, and type four in red with patients with suspected CAD with stable angina and symptoms and dyspnea, these were covered in ischemia trial. And type four, the asymptomatic subjects in whom CAD was detected by screening, and these were also covered in the ischemia trial. What was not covered in the ischemia trial were the type two with new onset heart failure, and I think this should be a subcategory of, of a stable CAD that we should consider higher risk. And type three, which are asymptomatic patients or symptomatic patients more than one year after an event or revascularization. So again, ischemia covered type one and type four. Now, the ESC came with some definition in 2019, but mind you, these definitions came before the ischemia trial and before the clarified registry. So automatically, when they came out in 2019, they became outdated almost because of ischemia and clarify. And so they give a laundry, long laundry list. I'm not going to read it for you right now because we have no time for what is stable CAD. And I think the ACC and the next guidelines coming out next year for stable CAD will have their own definitions too. In addition, the ESC actually gave us a pathway of how to treat these patients. And I'm sure uh, Dr. Ruthman will go over it uh, in the next, uh, in the next uh, lecture. Uh, but what we have here now, we have some actually path for most physicians of how to treat these patients and what's an initial therapy and what's a, a complementary therapy going down uh, with these, uh, with these uh, patients. And then they give us some uh, uh, nice uh, graphics of which patients should be revascularized and how we should consider revascularization. As I looked through this, I found that uh, to please the surgeons, that almost everybody at the end ends up with revascularization. So in addition, to, of course, to medical therapy. So no matter what, if your stress test is normal, abnormal, you can see here the arrows point to revascularization. Now, as, as I told you before, we have some updates, especially after ischemia and clarify, and I think as a community, we should respond better to these than just keep doing what we've been doing before and hope for the best. So this is what, uh, what, uh, what we have right now. And this is the paradigm that was created by ischemia right here in the middle. Of course, you have the patients with LV dysfunction, which are we don't have any idea how to treat them from clinical trials. Uh, we still use uh, clinical judgment for these patients and patients with refractory symptoms and how to address these patients, specifically if they have no proven ischemia uh, on stress testing or invasive uh, uh, assessment. Now, start with ischemia, I'm gonna show you only two slides from ischemia. Uh, you can see here the event rate, even death was very low. Fatal MI was about 1% per year. No matter how you slice this, which population you represent, which uh, group, uh, with CKD, without CKD, women, uh, uh, the centers geographically different, their event rate was very low in this population. And actually most of the death, if you look at them, were non-cardiovascular uh, death. And that's actually our clinical experience right now. If you follow these patients with stable CAD, unfortunately they, they die from other reasons besides cardiovascular disease. And which patients will benefit from revascularization or invasive strategy? And I think this is something in the future we should adopt in our practice, which is the Seattle Angina Questionnaire, which we do not adopt routinely in our practice. 
What we have here is these are patients here who have more frequency of angina right here. And you can see uh, at least at three months and 12 months, up to 24 months, most of these patients will benefit from revascularization in terms of angina relief. Versus patients here who have very infrequent angina, which we encounter mostly in our clinics, those patients do not benefit from revascularization and conservative management is sufficient. So again, this is something we do not practice or adopt in our, in our calculators. And I think should, this should be almost like the CHAD score when you come to see us, whether we should pursue an invasive strategy or continue with medical uh, therapy. Now we go finally to the Clarify registry. Venno mentioned it earlier, and this is actually a very nice registry uh, I was acquainted with about a year ago when it came out. And this is uh, involved 45 countries, and they follow these patients yearly for five years. And the way they follow them is, well, these are patients with established CAD, uh, about uh, one-fifth of them had stable angina at baseline, and they followed them for five years every year with a Seattle Angina questionnaire, and they did not interfere with the medical therapy. So then they followed, they, they found that 40% of patients had no angina at one year. So 22% had angina at baseline, 40% of those will have no angina at one year. And you can see here that patients with angina had resolved at one year with conservative management were not a higher risk of cardiovascular death uh, than those who experienced angina initially. So now, here's the, uh, the, the complex uh, slide. These are patients with angina at one year. You can see here, if you follow them at one year here, this is baseline angina. At one year, a lot of those patients will not have angina. And that angina dwindles down as the time goes by to five years. And you can see here, most of these patients actually did not receive revascularization. So this is not due to a revascularization effect. This is due to effective anti-anginal management. And in patients who have no angina at one year at, uh, at baseline, very few actually go on to develop angina uh, down the road. So again, this is a, a very important baseline check for the patients to figure out where they are and how will they progress. Now here, which patients will, uh, uh, the, which patients will have uh, events? Now there is a relationship between the presence of angina subjectively by the patients and actually how will they do over time? And you can see here, patients who have angina that's persistent over time will have actually more event rates than patients who have no angina, whether they started with angina or they started with no angina. So the development of angina or the persistence of angina over time is associated with higher event rates. So we should listen to the patients from that standpoint. However, if you look at the end of the follow-up, the event rate, 3.9% uh, had anginal symptoms at the end of follow-up period, which is five years. 7.2% had died, event rate 1.4% per year. This is in 45 different countries. So this is not at the Cleveland Clinic, this is everywhere. And 3.9 had undergone revascularization. So only 3.9, very few patients, at a rate of less than 1% per year. And 3.3% had, had either had an MI or urgent revascularization at a rate of 0.6% per year. Again, very low event rate for death, revascularization, and MI. And finally, this is the, the uh, I think this is the, the slide that I like most because now we have two targets. We have engineer relief target and event prevention target. So Venno talked about that as uh, aspirational going forward. And the engineer relief target, I think most of us give up very early on, these, on this engineer relief target, including myself. And we just say, okay, you have engineer, you have positive stress test, let's move on and do something about it. 
I think we should use standard definition for stable CAD, and hopefully this will become part of our medical records. We should use the Seattle Angina questionnaire yearly, not only as a quality of life measure, but also uh, as a prognostic measure and as a tool to address changing therapeutic strategies for these patients going down, uh, down the road. And we have to reassess the value of revascularization where we have no data, especially impaired LVEF, and especially in the era uh, of ARNIs and, uh, and newer uh, diabetic medications as new optomedical therapy. And finally, we should celebrate and own the low event rates. This is something we achieved over the past 20, 30 years. We do not celebrate and own it enough. Uh, 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 Guideline-directed medical therapy, optimal medical therapy works very well, and the event rate is very low. Thank you. I'm going to start by saying why cabbage. Well, if you look at the culprit lesions for acute MI, they occur in the first seven centimeters of a coronary. When you do a bypass, you go beyond that. You go to mid to distal vessel. And if you use a mammary and you leave the OR with a patent mammary, that mammary should stay open forever. So there's a prophylactic role, I think, for cabbage. And we, when we talk about stable coronary disease, the event rate is low, but we're not looking at one year. We're not looking at five years. We're looking at 30 years. This is an 88-year-old male who had a cabbage for stable coronary disease 30 years ago, and his native circulation is totally down. No medicine can open those. Maybe stents, Jay can try. But this patient is living because of a 30-year-old lima that supplies the entire heart through collaterals. So when do we do cabbage? Well, we'll look at the guidelines to guide us, and this is the 2018 European guidelines, and those guidelines say that if you have left main disease or multivessel disease, including a proximal LAD, then that's a class one indication for cabbage, regardless of the ejection fraction. The North American guidelines also said the same through different iteration over the years until 2021, when that was changed. They stratified patients depending on their EF. So if the EF is depressed, severely depressed, less than 35%, then cabbage remains a class one. But then if the EF is mild to moderate, it was downgraded to 2A. And if it is at normal EF, then it becomes a 2B. So the endpoint is survival here. It's not angina, it's not mace, it's survival. And um, we're looking at a downgrade based on the EF. So if we look at the evidence that was supplied in the tables, nothing in it shows that cabbage for a normal EF multivessel disease is less than a class one, because the first reference that was cited, and there was four references cited for the downgrade to 2B, is the slim use of meta-analysis. And regardless of the EF in that Salim use of meta-analysis, there was a survival advantage to cabbage. The second out of the four references was the European study, which showed survival advantage in three-vessel three disease um, and two-vessel disease with proximal LAD, and most patients had actually normal EF. But those references, the two out of the four, were labeled as old, as if there was an expiry date. So let's look at the new evidence. And we all agree, medical management has improved. So let's look at the new evidence. Ischemia trial is an excellent trial, but the way it was designed, it was comparing initial, and I want to capitalize I, initial, medic, uh, initial um, conservative strategy, non-invasive strategy, versus invasive strategy. So not a single patient was actually randomized to cabbage, and not a single patient was actually randomized to PCI. It's important to understand that. 
And only 26% of patients who underwent invasive intervention were cabbage, the vast majority were PCI. In fact, in the invasive arms, most, more patients receive medical therapy than cabbage. And less than 50% of patients had a proximal LAD lesion. I can't remember the last time I did a cabbage on a patient with less than 50% LAD lesion. So we're talking about two different populations here. The cabbage population are at that end of the spectrum. Everything else is here. And if we talk about um, uh, time lead bias or lead time bias, then maybe medical management and conservative management is fantastic in that early phase. But as you move with heavy atherosclerotic burden, complex coronary artery disease, we're talking about different animal that ischemia perhaps did not address to the extent that it needed to. But that wasn't the intention of ischemia. Let's be clear about that. Now, the median follow-up was 3.2 years. Again, the cat that I showed you was 30 years. And there was 21% crossover. So yes, initial medical management is excellent, but keep your eyes open because many of those patients will actually cross over to intervention. The second, oh, fourth reference actually, or the second new reference was a meta-analysis that ischemia was the largest uh, part of in terms of the size of uh, patients enrolled. And the vast majority of patients in this meta-analysis, 84% were PCIs. In fact, half of the randomized trials did not have a cabbage arm. And the mean follow-up was 4.8 years. Again, short follow-up. So again, this is, in my opinion, inadmissible evidence when it comes to the cabbage cohort. You can't use that as evidence to say that cabbage is no longer a beneficial therapy in patients with complex coronary artery disease because you only looked at a simpler format, an earlier format of coronary artery disease. You looked at very short follow-up and you closely followed those patients and flipped them over to intervention when it was clinically necessary. So I think the evidence is clear. I think medical therapy is fantastic and it should be reasonable to use medical therapy as an initial first-line therapy in patients with low to moderate atherosclerotic burden, um, and then closely follow them up and refer them to intervention when needed. And I think the evidence, no surgeon is gonna argue against that. But these are the guidelines. I mean, we respect them, they're excellent for the population level, um, the average patient. But when it comes to tailoring therapy for a specific patient here at the clinic, we have a heart team. Me and Jay, Mike Linkoff, Krishnaswamy, Vino Manon. I mean, we have ad hoc heart team uh, meetings every day on the phone, text messaging back and forth, and we decide this patient gets medical therapy, this patient gets PCI, this patient gets cabbage. And that case that was presented earlier was my patient, uh, Amit showed you. I was gonna do bilateral mammary. I thought that the Rita will stretch inside you to the proximal PDA, and he's a younger guy. But then Jay said, you know what? That LED doesn't look critical to me. Let's see what we could do with it. And we did the right decision, I believe, for that specific patient. How do we do cabbage? I'm not gonna spend much time about on versus off pump because the default approach is on pump and there are many studies that support that, but there are select patients, select scenarios where off pump is useful and we use it in about 15 to 20% of our patients at the clinic. What about multi-tier grafting? In North America, about 85% of patients get a single mammary and all vein. Very few get radial or beta grafting. And that has been flat over the years. 
Well, partly because the surgeons look at the evidence and they're not convinced. That was a study that we presented recently, the largest randomized trial to date, comparing radial artery to saphenous vein, conducted at 14 VA centers with 100% follow-up at 17.7 years uh, length of follow-up, showed absolutely no difference in survival. The curves, as you can see, overlap uh, all along between patients who receive a saphenous vein versus a radial artery to the second most important target. And the target was chosen to be at least 70% stenotic. Now, this is all-cause mortality. We couldn't look at MAIS because the data was not robust, and we couldn't look at patency. So even though the study shows that there's no survival advantage for using a radial instead of saphenous vein, it could not rule out other endpoints such as MAIS and JANA quality of life. Nevertheless, when we looked at the patency data for that VA study, although incomplete, numerically there was no difference between the radial patency rate and the saphenous vein patency rate. What about using bilateral mammary? Let's look at the randomized evidence. This is the ART study by Dr. Taggart. Again, at 10 years, showing absolutely no difference in MACE or all-cause mortality. So the surgeons, most surgeons, said, well, why should we use bilateral mammaries? Well, but there were caveats about the study. There were 14% crossover from beta to lita, reflecting surgeon inexperience and a low level of comfort in using bilateral mammaries. And uh, about 22% of the CETA arm, which is a single internal thoracic artery, actually crossed over, uh, but received the radial artery. So that may have diluted um, the effect because you incorporated radials into the CETA arm. And Taggart, the, uh, the lead investigator of this study, study uh, indicated that in, in the hands of surgeons that enrolled 50 plus patients, there was actually in the intention to treat analysis a significant um, divergence of the curves in favor of beta. So is it surgeon experience? Well, before we move on to look at our data at the clinic, if we look at the as-treated analysis of the art, those who received multi-arterial grafting, meaning two ITAs or an ITA plus a radial, there was a difference in MACE and survival over time. So the as-treated analysis was positive, the intention to treat was negative. So it's hypothesis generating. And if we go back to the experience question, this is Dr. Lytle's study that shows at, that at the Cleveland Clinic with the surgeon's skill and judgment and patient selection, um, you can see that there's a difference in survival that kicks in at about eight years in favor of the beta cohort. And the beta cohort over time continues to do better in terms of overall survival. We took that a step further and correlated the survival advantage when the amount of myocardium or the mass of myocardium supplied by ITAs was increased by sequentialing and adding more uh, bypasses using a second ITA. But we also specified that it, if you put a second ITA on an unimportant vessel, a small diag, a small PDA, you're not gonna make survival difference. To get a survival difference, you get a bypass a vessel that reaches more than 75% towards the apex of the heart. So in this patient, uh, the cath will show you, not only would they benefit from a LITA to LAD, but they would benefit from a second mammary or second arterial graft sequential to those two important lateral wall vessels.
So that concept entered into our day-to-day -day practice. How do we configure our ITAs? Well, we want to avoid competitive flow and achieve a balanced flow, but the patents rate does not get affected by how we use them. We use them in a way to enhance the reach to all important target vessels. The volume of cabbage at the clinic is amongst the highest in the nation. The outcomes have been consistently excellent with less than 1% mortality over the years, three-star ratings, and our default strategy is multi grafting. But we have lots of sick and complex patients. Not all of them get it. And when there's just an isolated LED, we do an off-pump mid-cab or use it with a hybrid approach if the other vessels that need to be addressed are unimportant. So in conclusion, cabbage remains the standard of carrying complex coronary disease, advanced coronary disease. MAG is a boutique practice. Multi-tear should be used in select patients by select surgeons and the surgeon experience impact outcomes. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.